welcome to the Lakers Lowdown. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today on the show, well, we know who the Lakers are playing in the Western Conference Finals. We know who they'll face if they get through the Western Conference Finals. We still have to get together and try to, you know, contextualize what we just saw over the weekend. Uh, it has been a solid 24 hours since you guys last heard from me here on this pod. Hope everybody celebrated that win Saturday night safely. Uh, but yeah, let's get over it. No, not get over it. I don't ever want to get over that. Let's go over it. <laughs> so let's start with the series that we just watched the Lakers win. Obviously, Raj and I recorded right after that game. My apologies for the audio quality in that episode as uh, I did everything I could to set up that room in a way that would be conducive to recording an episode while on vacation. My genius being what it is <laughs> did not set the, uh, uh, the, the, the stream yard setting to be recording through my mic. And I did not notice until it was, you know, too late and I could not edit that back. So apologies for that. But anyway, Raj and I talked and really wanted to focus on the moment, right? Enjoying the fact that the Lakers had just won their second series, enjoying the fact that the Lakers potentially just ended the Golden State Warriors dynasty, enjoying the fact that, you know, quite frankly, the Lakers overcame a team that was favored heading into that series, and and I think pretty widely picked to beat the, the Lakers in that series. So, yeah, that was I, I. I wanted to talk to Raj about that game, and I wanted to talk to him about you know what we just saw from a basketball perspective. But I also wanted to, in that moment, more just kind of celebrate the moment and how cool it was that yeah, we didn't see that coming. Nobody saw that coming, and that is what we did in the hours since. Right, I wrote for Substack about what that might mean organizationally speaking for the Lakers and what it might mean for the NBA moving forward as it seems like, you know, if we're just operating off of what we saw at the deadline that the Lakers have started to figure out uh, the, 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 the minutia of doing this, not just getting stars, but maximizing them and, and understanding what identity is going to help you maximize those stars. But on top of that, like, understanding what it's going to take, what kind of attention to detail that you need to stick with in order to, to make all of that happen. It's kind of like uh, Happy Gilmore, right? And and Happy gets that like big hockey stick putter, and he makes a putt, and he's like, uh-oh, Happy learned how to putt. I probably just botched that line. Whatever. Uh, the, the, the Lakers essentially sent a message, yeah, yeah, we, we we went out and got guys who LeBron and, and AD can elevate, but also can turn around and, and help make LeBron and AD better versions of themselves. That sounds great. That <laughs> let's let's keep doing more of that. And 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 yeah, the 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 notion of the the Lakers um, being a destination that helps a player off of the court. And then also can put that player in a better position on the court. That is going to mean something. So that's what I wrote about, you know, on Substack. So you combine enjoying the moment with looking ahead organizationally. And the big thing that we, we you know, 
I don't think have spent much time on here in the, again, now by the time you guys are listening to this, 48 hours or so after that game, uh, what did the Lakers do to make that possible? Raj and I spent some time on it, and we celebrated some of the guys individually, but, you know, I, I keep coming back to the fact that the Lakers won a super physical series against Memphis, right? Um, a real dogfight, and did so going away. Now, obviously, that would have been more of a dogfight. It would have been more physical if Steven Adams was there, if Brandon Clark was available. And that is worth noting for the context of that series. But the Lakers turn around and go from that to keeping up, like matching up with and keeping up with the Warriors long enough to go back to that identity of punishing inside and wearing teams down. Um, and, and yeah, that was, that was incredible to watch the Lakers, you know, find guys who can, who can keep up in that series. But then also because of the cheat codes that are LeBron and AD go back to, yeah, yeah. Well, Clay's guarding me. All right. LeBron's going to stick him in, stick him in the basket. Um, Wiggins is, is, is trying to, to guard me for the entirety of the time he's on the court with me. Okay, cool. I'll do the same thing. AD realized, oh yeah, that's right. I'm like five to six inches taller than Draymond Green. I should maybe take advantage of that. And then he did. And on top of that, not only did he take advantage of that in terms of offense, but obviously defensively what the Lakers did to really make the, the Warriors uncomfortable the play that I will never, ever, ever forget from that series, and especially game six, was Steph is driving down the middle of the paint, gets by his guy, has really nobody to to, to beat to the basket. AD is kind of like just standing there, and AD's presence leads to Steph almost airballing a layup. One of the greatest finishers at the basket, obviously one of the greatest shooters of all time, almost airballed a layup. You don't see that happen very often. And it was all because AD has just that kind of presence. So that um, that combination of, it's sometimes speed, but for the most part, physicality, length, you know, athleticism, that combination of what the Lakers were able to do is going to be huge in this next series. So, uh, looking back on just in terms of a macro sense a, in, in terms of basketball, what the Lakers did to win that series was just be flexible. Understand the moment, understand what the moment is calling for, and and have the pieces to be able to fix those problems whenever they came up. And, you know, Warriors fans have spent most of the last couple days looking at, man, if, if only... Wiseman was traded earlier when he had more value and they could get more than just Gary Payton the second and a broken version of Gary Payton the second. What if they don't let Gary Payton the second get away in the first place and Wiseman could have been used to add to that championship roster? Um, you know, same goes for Jonathan Kaminga and, uh, you know, even, even Mo, uh, Moses Moody, who, like, yeah, I, I think played pretty well over the course of the series, but you know, if you trade both of those guys and say a pick, you're probably getting back a pretty good player who could really help right then, right now. And, and, 
you know, they lost Otto Porter Jr., who, uh, you know, spent most of this year hurt, but still was pivotal to their to their title run. And and yeah, that that kind of hubris that goes into, well, we have Steph, we have Clay. Clay's going to be better next year. Still have Draymond. We can let some of these pieces on the peripheries go because they're going to cost more money, or they might get in the way of the development of this two timeline um, approach that the Warriors are taking. And clearly, that backfired. Right? It didn't work. War- Warrior seasons ended. Steve Kerr said so. Steph Curry said so. You know, Clay and and Draymond had had hinted as, at that as well. So the Warriors basically spent a lot of time as far as like, what did we do wrong? What did the Warriors do wrong that led to them losing the series? But not necessarily talking much about what the Lakers have done to win the series. And even I, like you know, I thought that the Warriors and look, objectively speaking, according to Vegas, the Warriors were favorites going into this thing. So. Just based on that, yeah, there are some things that the Warriors did to lose it. But I also think that that potentially ignores what the Lakers did to win it. And let's let's get into some of those things. So first and foremost, when you're talking about you know what the Lakers did to win that series, I it, it is going to start and end with Anthony Davis on defense and the cheat code that he is, right? The fact that somebody can be as big as he is as mobile as he is, and therefore allow you to go big or small with much of the same groups and match up with teams going big or small with much of your own personnel. Um, and and force, by the way, teams to try to go big to match up with you or go small to keep up with you. So AD is really just kind of the key to what the Lakers were able to do in that series as he was in the first series. And by the way, as he will be, in this next series. But, you know, when you talk about how the Lakers really, especially like game six, a game that the Warriors were desperate to win, backs up against the wall, potentially dynasty on the line, right? Uh, they scored, what, 101 points? And there was a lot of garbage time in there too. Uh, so the, the Lakers were able to shut off the Warriors' water by being able to you know, throw pitch after pitch after pitch, or I think a better analogy is punch after punch after punch and counter punch after counter punch after counter punch. And they were, they were able to move all over the ring and the warriors. I don't think, you know, there were some stretches where they, they started to maybe look a little comfortable and the Lakers threw another punch or they, 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 you know, ducked one of the warriors punches and were able to counter it or they were able to block it, whatever. Um, the Lakers throughout that series defensively never threw the same punch twice. And, you know, I, I you know, if they did, um, it was when it was really time to spam a certain thing. But they presented so many different looks over the course of the series that, you know, look, the series started with Jared Vanderbilt on Steph, right? Then it was Austin Reeves on Steph. And then it was, you know, AD on Gary Payton the second when he started the series on Kevon Looney and Looney at various points was not playable and then he was right so like the Lakers just kept on you know whenever the Warriors do their counter the Lakers found some way to counter that and and by the end of the series it really spoke to me that 
yeah, Kerr went right back to Kevon Looney because he had tried to do the things that were kind of out of the box or out of left field and figured out they weren't having the impact that they needed to have. So, uh, yeah, when, when, when I say that the Lakers, you know, shut off their water defensively, that all kind of comes back to, and it always is going to come back to Anthony Davis. And again, in this next series, the one advantage that the Lakers have over Jokic or against Jokic over teams that have already lost to him, right, is that AD can guard Jokic in single coverage and therefore kind of minimize some of what Jokic can do as a passer. Um, you, you might be able to say that with Rudy Gobert, but then the thing is with AD is he can turn around on the other side of the court and get Jokic into foul trouble. That's never going to happen with Nikola Jokic or with uh, with Rudy Gobert, and that for damn sure isn't going to happen. You know, in the series we just saw where DeAndre Ayton is is somehow stiffer at times than Rudy Gobert, and his backup is Bismack Biombo. So, yeah, the, this you know I, I know Nuggets fans are, are feeling pretty confident, and for good reason. They're a very good team. They've been the best team in the Western Conference over the course of the year, and especially whenever they have tried to look like the best team in the Western Conference. But uh, when you're looking at what, what Anthony Davis did in the first series, where he shut off the paint for somebody as explosive in the paint as uh, John ja, ja Morant, that changed the, the, the outcome and the outlook of that, of that series. And then, you know, against Golden State, where... They aren't, their offense isn't as predicated, anywhere near as predicated as Memphis's offense might be in getting into the paint and either kicking it out or the floater game or finishing at the rim or getting guys into foul trouble. Uh, AD was still able to impact that series defensively because he's just like that special uh, a player when he's healthy and engaged. So, um, yeah, when we talk about like what the Lakers did right, especially defensively, it was all AD offensively that gets a little trickier right because uh there were in game six it was a classic lebron elimination game especially with the lakers that was all predicated on wiggins isn't strong enough clay thompson for damn sure isn't strong enough moses moody isn't strong enough to stop lebron from getting into the paint and getting to the rim and you know they could have maybe move Draymond onto LeBron, but guess, <laughs> guess what that means? It means those same people that I just mentioned, is they're going to be dealing with a bigger person in Anthony Davis. So, yeah, there, there was just, there was no, just like I said, going into the Memphis series, if the Lakers were going to be successful going big, there was no counter from either of those last two teams. There is, by the way, a counter, uh, or, or the Nuggets can match up with that size that the Lakers have, um, in better ways than the Warriors and Grizzlies did. But, you know, I think same thing here offensively. If you're looking ahead, um, it is going to be, you know, who controls the paint, who maintains a steady flow of free throws by getting into the paint, and then occasionally when, when the time calls for it, whose role players knock down open shots. And, you know, basketball is kind of a simple sport, maddeningly simple at times. And, and yeah, this this series, this one coming up here between the Lakers and Nuggets, and there's going to be plenty of time. I'm, uh, you know, later today I'm going to be previewing it with uh, somebody who I'm sure you guys are excited to hear from a a previous friend of the show. 
over the course of the week, I'm going to be previewing it with with other you know friends of the show, um, and 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 all of that. But yeah, the more that I look at the series, the, the simpler it gets, and and you know that can be exciting, um, but it can also be terrifying because if like a couple key factors don't go in your way here, that's that's the series. Another quick thing that I'm actually really looking forward to in this series is this notion that the Lakers can go back to more steadily a an identity that I think their roster is more built towards um, with the occasional sprinkling in of small ball to make uh, Denver feel uh, uncomfortable in some spots. But, you know, Rui can be more of a factor in this series. Vanderbilt can be more of a factor in this series. Um I think Lonnie is still going to be a, a, a somebody who Ham, ha, especially having seen what he was capable in the last series. I think we'll see some of Lonnie. I think Troy Brown will will get another opportunity here. Um, but but really, like the Lakers can go super big, super physical against Denver in ways that they couldn't against uh, Memphis and they couldn't against Golden State, and and that's something that. You know, more Rui with the way that he has played. Now, it's going to be interesting to see if Rui has maintained his shooting rhythm uh, despite a diminished role. You, you always kind of worry about that. But, but then, you know, I think importantly here for the Lakers is, is, you know, just continuing to wear down the Nuggets in ways that the Lakers' kind of collective size will allow them to. Um, and, and I, w- the major difference, like if I, a quick tangent here, a major difference between the Lakers and, uh, the Kings in their success rate against the Warriors was the Kings, they could match up with them step for step when it comes to speed, right? They were just as small, just as quick, just as skilled, right? And, and, you know, it made for some incredibly entertaining games, but over the course of the series, like Steph never looked very tired. And you look at what the Lakers were forcing Steph to do because they were bigger all over the court than Sacramento. There was a, there was a, you know, Steph hit a off the dribble three and it was the kind of three that like kind of shuts up the crowd a little bit and, it, it, it could get him going. It was the kind of thing that, like, if he responded to it a certain way, maybe he kind of rallies the troops. But instead, uh, Steph knocks down the shot. The pan, the, the camera pans over to him, and he is just like clearly exhausted, right? And and that stood out to me. Um, on top of the other stuff that was going on over the course of that series, like Clay Thompson, his arc was inconsistent on his shot in a way that it's pretty clear that a shooter is trying to find his stroke. Um, that that was really fascinating to watch. But the Lakers wore down Steph over the course of that series. And, you know, in this one, um, now the Lakers don't have a Dwight in the way that they did in in the bubble against Jokic. And, and we did see Dwight kind of bother Jokic. Jokic is a significantly better now, better player now than he was back when, when that was happening. But... You know the the Lakers are going to have to find a way to wear down Jokic, and I you know I think that's going to be with AD, and uh, and 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 I think that's also going to be with like LeBron, you know, trying to get downhill 
and challenging Jokic at the rim. It's going to come with guards, you know, getting Jokic in space and trying to attack him that way, either one-on-one in that space with the speed advantage or by just, you know, making pocket passes and forcing Jokic to try to, like, rotate back over and stuff like that. So, you know, one major key here on top of some other stuff, and and there's plenty of time to talk about other stuff, but one major key is if the Lakers are going to be just as successful in wearing down the, the Nuggets in this series as they were at wearing down the Warriors in the last one. And, the, the, the Nuggets, the, the, you know, collectively, the Nuggets are significantly bigger than the Warriors were. So they'll be able to kind of meet force with more force there, whereas the Warriors were trying to, try, trying to counter with speed and, and with skill and with shooting and with spacing. So, yeah, this is going to be kind of that knockdown, drag-out rock fight, I think. And the Lakers are equipped for it, but so are the Nuggets. On a more kind of macro level here, though, um, I, I do think that this feels fairly similarly going in as I felt going into the Warrior series, where the Nuggets have been the better team all year. The Lakers certainly have a higher ceiling than than we thought, obviously. Like, nobody saw this run coming, and, and more on that notion of like that surprise here in a second. But uh, I... I I do think, though, that, you know, the Warriors are, are, are favored. I think it's like plus, or they're, the Lakers are, I, I, last I checked, it was it was like minus 140 for the Nuggets and maybe like plus 185 or so for, for the Lakers. Um, more, more time to kind of get to that in whenever, whenever I can. But, yeah, it is, okay, so... Uh, it's actually gone down a little bit, but yeah, minus 145 for the Nuggets, plus 125 here for the Lakers. So almost a coin flip, I guess, um, for for the Lakers to win the series. And it is a very close matchup. Lakers are super public, and the fact that we've seen the Lakers have the amount of success that they have will obviously influence um, some of the betting there. So I think Vegas is making up for some of that. But, uh, but yeah, I think... Um, it's it's I think it's really going to be kind of a similar script that the Lakers have to follow here, where game one is really going to matter. Uh, winning game one, being able to kind of take a deep breath in game two, taking care of business in in games three and four, probably dropping game five, and then winning game six. Um, that feels like kind of the pathway here that the Lakers have to take. But it also wouldn't surprise me if this thing goes to seven. Um, I, I think my official pick is probably Lakers and six, but I could absolutely see this thing going to seven where game seven on the road is is pretty brutal. And all of these games are going to be, you know, game day off, game day off, game day off every other day. Uh, so I think, you know, the, the, both of these teams are going to be exhausted by the end of it. And, and yeah, it's just going to be a matter of taking advantage of those moments when those opportunities present themselves. And, and I really think that, you know, game one, um, I don't, it's, it's not the same opportunity as it was against the Warriors as the Nuggets have an extra day of rest compared to the Lakers. 
Um, whereas the Warriors had, were at a rest disadvantage because they messed around in their own game sip, six. Uh, but, you know, it's... it's it, look, as soon as the Lakers kind of go on a bit of a run... Now, if the, if the Nuggets come out hot, that building is going to be nuts. The Lakers have historically traveled well to Denver, and they've they've minimized that crowd to a certain extent. But that's also a fan base that's looking at a team that I think has the best chance that they have ever had organizationally to win a championship. So that building could be rocking. But as soon as the Lakers go on a bit of a run here, or if they withstand that initial adrenaline punch that in the same way that they did in Game 1 against the Warriors, the longer that they're close the more tense that crowd is going to get and the more tense some of those role players are going to feel. And now there is plenty of experience there. Like KCP won a championship with the Lakers. He's going to be ready for what the Lakers bring in this series. Um, Aaron Gordon has been phenomenal as kind of like a, a, a wing stopper. And I think he has enough experience to be kind of be able to handle it. But Michael Porter Jr., will kind of float in and out of series or in and out of games, um, depending on what the situation is. And if the Lakers can make him uncomfortable and and make him feel a little tight, um, that's the, I think, swing factor here. I think the most important thing here is the Jokic and AD matchup. It has to be close. And if AD can win that matchup, the Lakers can win the series. But there are also X factors here, right? If D'Angelo Russell is able to be playable despite being across from Jamal Murray, that would feel like a big win here for the Lakers. If the the, the Lakers' kind of stream of guards uh, can collectively be better than Jamal Murray, that would be a pretty big win. Just like the flip side would be would be true going the other way. Um, but Michael Porter Jr. I, like not only is he one of the bigger X factors, obviously in the series, but I would go so far as to say like he's one of the bigger X factors in the league because when he is playing well, when he's knocking down shots, when he's shooting consistently and, and confidently, and when he's defending, he has a real case to 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 make as like a top three to five three and D wing in the league, and you know wing play to me always winds up kind of defining not always but a lot of times kind of defines to me um the direction that some of these series go and if if mpj is that kind of special x factor yeah denver's really difficult to guard and really difficult to keep up with in terms of scoring so um yeah but but still like if the lakers in game one can hang tight withstand that first barrage that they're going to get from from denver as that crowd shows up and is ready to go right from the get, um, if they if they're able to withstand that and and you know hang tight for most of the game, uh, I do think that that they'll have a pretty good chance at stealing game one, probably lose game two, and then yeah, then it's a matter of just kind of staying on schedule. So we'll see if if the Lakers are able to do that. All right, let's get to your questions. So uh, again. Best way to get a topic covered on the show, and apologies that I didn't do it last week with everything kind of going on um, and with my voice sounding the way that it did and and not holding up. Like, I'm able to do this on video. I could not have done it on video last week, these lowdowns. So I'm going to try to edit this and put this up on the YouTube page, which 
Again, youtube.com slash at Lakers Lounge is where you can find that. Um, but these lowdowns, hopefully, are going to be housed there as well. Um, and, and uh, you know, now that I have a voice to be able to answer these questions, I'm going to get to them. So the first question here comes from 42Worthy. Adding this question uh, again, or adding this again in question form since you've relapsed into your old ways. They stop being funny the second time your co-hosts sit in uncomfortable silence waiting for their cue to force a mercy laugh at the end of your unbearably long sound drops. Uh, trim the sound drops, use them sparing, sparingly, or just cut them all out altogether, please. So here's the thing about sound drops. Um, one, uh, I like that they kind of break up the monotony of a back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and your point, my point, your point, my point. Think of it as like, I, I watched the, the Phoenix Suns, right? And the Phoenix Suns were maddening because it was always Kevin's turn, Devin's turn, Kevin's turn, Devin's turn, Kevin's turn, Devin's turn. And you never really saw much of those guys operating together. And a sound drop to me is kind of like a pick and roll where both of those guys get to operate together where Raj and I or Harrison and I or my guest and I can laugh together for a quick second and then again get back to the way that you know conversations normally go. Um, I do limit them though. Uh, they, they can get to be quite a bit um, unless it's like a, a long term episode long bit in the same way that like the Leroy Jenkins clip was with, with Raj and me. Um, I, I yeah I I get that they can be kind of frustrating, and they are longer when you are adding them into this than they feel like when you're just kind of watching them on your computer. And I've been cognizant of that, but but yeah, that's that's where that is coming from. And no, sorry, they are not going anywhere. We'll be they'll, they'll be used differently, but they are never going to be they are never going to be gone altogether. Next question here comes from Kinetic Groove. I uh, have enjoyed listening to you, Anthony, and all the guests you have on your show. Keep up the incredible work. Thank you very much. Question, given how the Lakers started 2-10 and 10 and didn't get to 500 until late in the season, and here they are advancing to the second and now third round, uh, given where they were, uh, given they were given little chance to even make the playoffs, at the very least, would your, would your what would be your definition of a successful season this year? This is interesting because, look, the Lakers... Uh, famously say the only successful season that you could possibly have is a championship. Right. Um, but I, I think that lacks nuance. I think there is, there's plenty of room for success that extend well beyond that because sex success, whom sex, um, talk about success, but success is defined by expectations. What were your goals going into a season and how many of those boxes did you check? A season comes to mind here. Uh, the, the year that the Lakers lost to the Boston Celtics in the championship, I think that would have been 08, right? Because I think they won in 09 and then they won in 2010. In 08, they lost to the Boston Celtics in the finals. And if that's all you knew about that season, you would say, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a failure. The Bossics won a, the, the the Celtics won a championship and the Lakers did not. 
and the Celtics won it directly from the Lakers, no chance. That's that's that has to be a failure. And in the moment, like objectively, the Lakers did fail to win that championship, right? Um, but when you consider the fact that that season started with the Kobe trade demand, we had no idea what Andrew Bynum was going to turn into. Pau Gasol was still a Memphis Grizzly. And uh, Lamar Odom was still seen as this, like, sometimes there, mostly not there project that the Lakers, he was like the key uh, return for Shaq and was fairly underwhelming, right? So, like, the Lakers felt rudderless. Kobe hated everybody, wanted to be traded because the Lakers refused to trade, refused to trade uh, Andrew Bynum for Jason Kidd. And then he had that infamous video in, in, in the parking lot of that mall. And, and yet, over the course of that series, first, you saw Bynum play well enough to convince Kobe to want to stick around. Then... You have Bynum get hurt, and uh, you think, well, fuck. Just when you're starting to feel good, Bynum's knee dis- kneecap dislocates, um, and you think, well, season's screwed all over again. And Kobe's response to that was interesting because it was like kind of doubling down on, you know what, screw it. We're, we're going to make this work. Then the trade deadline comes. The Lakers trade for Pau Gasol. Pau comes in, immediately fits like a glove next to Kobe, and... And Kobe says, why would I want to go anywhere? They just brought me this guy. The Lakers go from, again, a season that started as if you you thought the Lakers were going to waste yet another prime Kobe season to, holy shit, these guys might, there's a lot to build on here. The Lakers were able to get to the finals in only year one of Powell being there. That does not happen very often. And, And lo and behold, they wind up building on that, right? They wind up winning the championship the very next year, and then they win the fo- they win the championship the following year after that against those same Boston Celtics. And that year, that 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 first year, laid the groundwork for that for those couple of titles. So, was it a success in that the Lakers did did not win a championship? No, not according to their own definition, but they for damn sure laid down the identity and the culture that was necessary to winning that champion, those championships, plural, in the following couple of seasons after that. Um, this kind of feels like that, right? Where the beginning of the year, Russ was still a Laker, and uh, Patrick Beverly was still a Laker, Kendrick Nunn was still a Laker. They had like 73 combo guards, and again, felt super rudderless, and you just saw it like, well, all right, shit. Like, we're doing this again. This is this is the the direction that you want to take this thing. And um, yeah, and 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 lo and behold, they do trade Russ for obviously uh D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley. They traded Kendrick Nunn for Rui Hachimura. I still kind of think they took a heat check by trading Patrick Beverly for Mo Bamba, but more importantly than even the 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 combination of those moves, the Lakers developed an identity. They laid the groundwork for a culture that they can build on, and regardless of how either this series or the next series turns out, you feel like they can really build on this moving forward. 
And given their goals coming into this season, for me, their singular goal being trade Russell Westbrook for people who can help LeBron and AD win at the level that we think LeBron and AD can win at, that box is checked. Hey, what can, can, can Reeves build on the growth that we saw last year? That box is for damn sure checked. So, yeah, I would say that uh, obviously, ideally, they win this championship and it is just unmitigated success, objectively and arguably a success. But I also think, though, that the Lakers made enough progress this year organizationally and in terms of basketball. They, they, they seem to have hired a pretty good coach in Darvin Ham, too, who is going to be a, a part of that, that culture and that identity here moving forward. Um, the Lakers seem to have laid the groundwork that, depending on how this next offseason goes, depending on how training camp goes, um, they're going to start next year as either you know favorites or close to favorites to win a championship. Again, depending on how these next couple series go. You would not have said that <laughs> uh, a few months ago, right? At one point, and I, I don't know if the, the odds have changed, but at one point the Lakers were odds on, they were either tied to be or were actually odds on favorites to win the championship this year with the four teams remaining. Would not have seen that coming. So, yeah, I, I got to say that to me, given what they were setting out to do this year, this, this season is already a success. All right, that is going to do it here for this episode of the Lakers Lowdown Podcast. A uh, really fun episode here, as and, and I appreciate you guys for answering or asking your questions in the iTunes mailbag. Again, leave a topic in the form of a five-star review, and I promise I will get to it. Um, again, if you haven't checked it out already, the Substack uh, article that I wrote is, I think, the most article I've written, most popular article I've written um, other than the welcome article to Substack in the first place, um, you're going to want to check that out. I'm pretty optimistic, as you just heard, for about the Lakers um, here moving forward. So check that out as well. Right after I'm done here, I am actually going to narrate my last two posts uh, for Substack for paid subscribers. That is uh, exclusive to the $8 a month subscribers that that um, that that are willing to pay up there. So check that out. Again, like I said earlier, and I'm not going to give away who my guests are going to be for what should be obvious reasons at this point, but we have a loaded week ahead as we get ready for what is going to be a knockdown, drag out, war of a series that I cannot possibly wait for. So until the next time you guys hear from me, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a good one.